But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the very first chapter, the very first verse of the book of Hebrews. That's where we're going to begin our study. If you were here last week, uh, you know that we kind of did a quick overview uh, of the book of Hebrews and just kind of talked about one of the things, one of the recurring themes, if you will, that goes throughout the entire book, and that is the use of the word better. And I have to tell you, I'm a big fan of the 4th of July. I don't know about anybody else in here, but I'm a huge fan of the 4th of July. And it wasn't until I moved to Abilene that I lived actually outside of the city limits to where I could blow up my own fireworks. You know, it was great. It was always great. The city always does a great job. And I know that Abilene has traditionally done a great job. But I just happened to live a little bit outside the city limits on the way towards Potosi. And when we moved into our house in 2004, um, there were a fair number, a fair number of houses out there. But I'm going to tell you, in 18 years, that area has absolutely exploded, no pun intended, with growth. Lots of houses. And one of the things that I really loved about our neighborhood was that, for the most part, there were quite a few people who would buy fireworks from the fireworks stand. And so I didn't have to go into the city. All I had to do was sit in my backyard with my head on a swivel and go like this. And just watch, and they were going on all, all around me. And it was cool in 2004. I said, man, I got to get in on this. And so my wife, in her loving way, reminded me, honey, we need to budget for those things. <laughs> so guess who squirrels away spare change and all sorts of little things. And every year, right before the 4th of July, I take out my little can of whatever it is that's in there, and, and I go buy some fireworks. And so we got to be a part of it. But I got to tell you, year after year after year, it just gets better. I mean, it's to the point now where it's like, there's stuff going on all around you. And the explosions and the colors and the sound. And I feel bad for my 12-year-old golden retriever who hates the 4th of July. I feel so bad for her because she just trembles. and, And I'm like, but Bailey, look, it's so pretty. And she's like, Dad, I'm scared. It's too noisy. Make the bad man stop, you know? And so anyway, all that to be said, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And it's just, like I said, gotten better and better and better year after year. And I think that's one of the things that I love about the book of Hebrews. And I think we're going to have a great time journeying through this book, studying about not just the word better, but really what Hebrews is trying to teach us about Jesus. And of course, this week, as J.D. said, the beginning of the Passion Week. You know, it's a week that begins really today with a tremendous amount of excitement. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and Jesus is coming and people are excited. And as the week progresses, we begin to see that excitement just diminish into what happens on the cross. Sorrowful, painful death that our Lord had to endure. But that painful death had to happen because without that, we wouldn't have what followed three days later. You know, there's a a video I've watched many, many years ago, um, and I usually watch it every year. It said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And I'm telling you, 
That is going to be exciting. I'm excited to be with you guys next Sunday. So as we kind of look at Hebrews, you know, there's a lot of good things. You know, as we talked about last week, the Old Testament in many respects kind of foreshadows, kind of points us to Jesus. Everything that's happening is pointing to Jesus. You know, and all the good things, you think about all the good things that God did for these people in the Old Testament, he's even done better things in the New Testament era. But you know, people are still asking a lot of questions. People are asking, who has the power to help me? What's God's plan for my life? Where can I find true meaning and happiness? And perhaps you're here today and you're wondering, will there be an end to my suffering? You know, I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know how God is working or how to you perhaps it may feel like God is not working and he's silent right now. But I'm here to tell you today that you can put your trust in God and there's a way to do that and there's a reason to do that and that reason is Jesus. So as we know, you know, for the book of Hebrews, it was written to this, this group of persecuted Jewish Christians. They were being attacked for their faith, and they were struggling. And they were asking these questions that I just talked about, because life for them was hard. But I think what ultimately the writer of Hebrews is telling us here is that the answer to all our questions lies in Jesus just simply Jesus. You know, the title of this series is simply Jesus for that reason. We talked about this last week. Our faith is, when you think about it, very, very simple. The hard part comes in how we live it, how we take that faith that we profess and accept Jesus into our hearts and live according to God's plan. That's where it kind of gets challenging, but our faith in and of itself is really simple. Because think about it this way. Jesus is better than dot, 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 fill in the blank. For you, what is Jesus better than? He's better than anyone, anything, any idea, any authority, any king, any priest, any prophet. Jesus is simply better and I think as we go through our study, we're going to find that that's the case. We're going to see how it's very easily pointed out, very well pointed out to us why Jesus is better than anything that we can think, imagine, or feel. You know, so perhaps you're here today and, and you've been going to church for a while. You, you, you pretty well got this Christian thing, Christianity thing figured out. You know, you know basic theology, um, Back in my Baptist days, I would say you know how to navigate a potluck, but I'm sure that we probably have some food here too, okay? So you might even be able to pray in the King James. I don't know. But you know what I'm finding, what I've found in my years in ministry is how little Christians know about Jesus. So I'm going to challenge you. I think I told you last week I had somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 messages. We're going to go through the entire book, verse by verse, and really study and really learn and really understand because what I really want you to hold on to, what I really want you to take away from this series is simply Jesus and then apply that to your life and see what a difference it can make. So I'm going to challenge you. Be here. 
be here. So, um, as I said, go ahead and if you haven't already opened your Bibles or your, your uh, smart device or whatever that may be to hurt, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. And if you would stand for me, uh, we're going to stand in honor of the reading of the Lord's Word here. Long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So you're probably going to see, I think the next slide is, go ahead and pop it over to the next slide there, guys. Last week I talked about kind of my, my teaching style, if you will, a little bit. I want to kind of help you guide through this. And I'm not going to do this every week, but I want you to kind of get a feel for um, the acronym HEAR. Okay, so obviously we've just heard God's word spoken. Um, then the E in HEAR stands for EXPLAIN. I'm going to do my best to kind of explain to you not only what the basics of the passages that we're looking at, what is it that the writer wants us to understand, but to hopefully grasp, okay? Because we need to be students of the word, okay? That's the best way that we can really truly understand and apply what God's word says to us, is, is to study it, to get in there and learn. You know, it's great to read it, absolutely, but it's even better to understand and grasp hold of that. So the general idea of this passage, if you will, is that God's best is saved for last. His spoken word is through his son to us. And I think this passage brings an important theme that God works and wants to speak to us. He is fully God and he's fully one with the Father. Uh, author and theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way. Written as a grand and rather formal opening, the writer of Hebrews invites us to look at the whole sweep of biblical history and see it coming to a climax in Jesus. This opening sentence isn't just rhetorical flourish. It tells us clearly how the argument of the whole letter is going to run. Again and again, we start with a passage from the Old Testament, and the writer shows us how it points forward to something yet to come. Again and again, the something it points forward to turns out to be Jesus. Jesus, as in this passage, as God's unique son, the one who has dealt with sins fully and finally, the one who now rules at God's right hand, the one to whom even the angels bow in submission. So as we kind of begin this dive, if you will, into Hebrews, I want to point out two things. I think very, one of the first things is, is Christ's divinity, okay? He's supreme over all traditions, law, all that was created, including the angels. He is the ultimate word of God. Jesus is the heir of all things. He is incarnate. He made the universe. He is the radiance of God's glory and sustains all things. And in so doing, he is able to give us redemption and purify us from our sins. The second theme that this passage introduces is, is this. Is that is God is the one who speaks. He is a God of promise and fact. He has an inheritance, an inheritor, and a role for us. Now, the audience in Hebrews that they were writing to was a church that was confused. They were scared. They were persecuted. They didn't know about the role of Christ and angels, which was superior. 
They tried to compromise his status to appease everybody else. And that's not what God wanted them to do. So I'm going to refer you back to the verses, and if you want to put that slide back up there again, but take a look at that, and we're going to kind of break this passage down a little bit uh, at a time, and I'm going to kind of try and help us understand what it is that we're seeing and reading here. So beginning in the very, the very first thing, it says, long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. See, God speaks to his son and to his people through his son. Here referring to the prophetic revelations such as Moses and Isaiah where his voice was heard and written down for us to hear too. As great as this was, it was incomplete and waiting for a culmination and fruition now through Christ. His revelation is clear and complete. The next phrase, at many times in many ways, God is the ultimate author and uses many ways and means of communicating such as visions, Direct speaking, angels, dreams, people to bring his message of hope and salvation as well as his precepts through the period of time called covenants. Now the Old Testament was incomplete and sporadic, lacking fullness and finality. But at the same time, God carefully and progressively gave humanity piece by piece his instructions, revelations, and precepts which they could comprehend. And again, as we will see over and over and over again, culminated with Christ, it points to Jesus. Next phrase, verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us. Now, there's a little bit of confusion from time to time about what we're talking about in last days, okay? They are the time period or covenant which marks the coming of the Son and refers to Christ's redemptive work. It is last because all the previous time periods such as the creation, the Mosaic law, that's all in the past, okay? This is also the last period of God's work and his speaking to humanity, it is also referring to the sudden nature of the Christian era, okay? It's not necessarily a time frame. It does not necessarily mean days as in days of the week or how much time is coming to the second coming. We probably have all seen that. I mean, yeah, over the course of your life, you probably have heard, oh, well, this is when the second coming, this is when the rapture is going to happen and all that. And all these, you know, so-called experts or they call themselves professed you know, profess prophets saying, this is when the second coming is happening. The word is very clear. No one knows. No one knows the time, but we're called to be ready. Okay? He's coming. Um, next phrase, by his son, literally. In a son or the personal revelation and coming of Christ, echoing the prophecies, types, echoes, and shadows of the Old Testament. Again, coming to fruition with Jesus. It sets up the argument of the centrality, the supremacy, if you will. Christ is supreme, okay, sitting over God's house, meaning that Jesus is the final revelation. The point is this, okay, anything that comes from him is far greater and binding than any present tradition that the Hebrew Christians might have been facing, okay? He's still trying to kind of point them back and help them remember you know, what this is all about and what Jesus is all about. Next phrase, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Okay, Christ is preeminent and holds all authority. And as Christ is heir, we are adopted. You know, the word says we are co-heirs with Christ, receiving his work and grace and blessings. Next phrase, through whom he also created the world, meaning all ages are all that exists. Christ's supremacy predates time and history. Okay, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. He was with him in the beginning. 
See, they were all there together when God created the world. Verse 3, he is the radiance of God's glory. Okay, the glory of our Lord is his genuine holiness. For a Jew, this meant only God or the exact image of God. But if you think about it this way, it's talking about being imprinted, meaning incarnate, personified, displayed, which are the attributes of God alone. Okay? In this context, it means that Christ can and will redeem us. Uh, a little bit, another phrase, and the exact imprint of his nature is a clear aspect of this trinity, God, Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It means the Son has oneness, exact essence with God the Father. They are being one, yet distinct in person, each revealing the other. And then he, in the next phrase, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, Christ is the one who not only made the universe, he holds it all together. Okay, many Jews at this time believed that there were angels involved in that process. Well, we know that's obviously not the case. Purification for sins, that next phrase, if you will. It's what Jesus did, what he does for you and me. He atones, he pays the price. It's what's going to happen this week. We're going to remember and we're going to observe, we're going to see and we're going to worship God for the gift that was given to us. Okay? It's only him. He is the final atonement for sin. And then the next phrase, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay? It's where Jesus reigns, rules and reigns forever with God at his right hand. Uh, verse 4, having become as much superior to angels, means that Christ is greater than any role of Israel, the priesthood, the traditions, the prophets, the laws, anything. He is the fulfillment of the law. And then finally, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Inherited refers to Jesus being our rescuer, our redeemer. He took on our human nature, but without our sinfulness and remained pure. Because he was the only one who could be the sacrifice for our sins. His human nature voluntarily became lower than the angels, but as fully God, he is still superior to them in essence, power, purpose, and distinction. So as we talked about last week, again, we don't necessarily know who wrote Hebrews, but, I, but we get this big picture idea, if you will. And I think what happened for me as I was kind of doing my study and preparing, preparing for this message, it raised some questions, okay? It's like, well, who did God speak to long ago? You know, he talks about that in the first part of this, this passage. Well, we know that it was written, the letter was written by a Jewish person to Jewish people. He's referencing our ancestors, so he's including himself in that. Um, and any, anybody who would read this, anybody who would hear this for the first time, they would immediately kind of pick up on some examples that they knew would be familiar to them. Um, God spoke to Abraham saying, go to the land I will show you. He spoke to Jacob. He said, I'm going to change your name to Israel. Um, God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. What a great reminder. Um, he spoke to Adam and Eve, Sarah, Hagar, all kinds of people. Okay? And when you read the Bible, you might get the idea that God spoke directly to everyone, but that's not necessarily true. Okay? Um, he spoke to Solomon in a dream. He spoke to others through prophets, priests, and kings. But the important question out of that is to really ask ourselves, why does God speak to us at all? Okay? Lots of reasons. You know, you could suppose that 
Maybe he's got something he wants you to know. That's reasonable. Sometimes he spoke to his people, you know, because he wanted to encourage them. Uh, sometimes they were words of discipline. They needed correction. They needed to be reminded that they were not on the path that they needed to be on. And so God spoke to them. And he gave them instructions. The Bible, what a great instruction manual for us to live by. But I think it's essential to realize that God has spoken to people then and to us today for one reason, really, the primary reason, and that is he wants to know us and he wants to be known by us. Okay? Our God is a personal God. He wants to have a personal relationship with you and with me. It's not a mystery. He's not distant and unavailable. He's there. He's immediately available to us. You think about it from this perspective. If God had remained silent, nobody had ever heard anything, there were no prophetic revelations, there was nothing. What would we be like today? Would we know who we are? Would we know who God is and what he thinks? Would we know right from wrong? Would we know the scripture? Would we know how to pray? Would we even know whether or not there was a beginning to all this? Or did we just kind of magically show up? There wouldn't be a place for us to take our doubts and fears if we didn't know God, if we didn't know who he was. I think for me, I would feel empty, alone, afraid, and without faith. And I'm here to tell you today, friends, there are a lot of people who live like that right now. And they're closer than you think. They're not in those faraway lands where they don't know about or believe in Jesus. They're right here. See, they need to know that God has spoken and hear what he has to say. So, Here's a key question for you. If God spoke many times in many ways to the Old Testament people, what did he say to them? Kind of how could we summarize what it was that God said? Well, I think it begins with the fact that he made promises. Okay, every Old Testament book was pointing to something that was coming. Of course, we know because we can kind of flip ahead a few pages and see what was coming. But they didn't know. As they were living this, they were hearing from God and they were seeing and they were hearing, you know, the prophets talk about what was coming. Every prophet had a word from God. They knew something was coming. See, even their worship, if you think about the, 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 the way that they worshiped in Old Testament times, they anticipated something new that God was preparing. They knew that was something was coming. They just didn't know what it was. You know, the prophet Jeremiah was told of a new covenant, a new day promised by God. In verse 2 of today's text it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You know, as I talked about earlier, when we hear the word final days, we start thinking about end times. But really, it's, it refers more to the time from Christ's ascension to his return. We are in the last days. Okay, We don't know how many days, but we are in the last days because we are waiting. We are waiting for Christ to come and gather his elect and take us home. See, the Old Testament people were living in the days of God's promises when he was preparing for something new. The writer of the Hebrews says the waiting is over. God has spoken again to us with something new to say. 
and that is the final word, okay? Any of you, uh, who wants to be a millionaire fans in here? Is that your final answer? (laughs) This is God's final answer. It's Jesus. See, the Old Testament is about promises. The New Testament is about the fulfillment of those promises, So we're going to see a lot of that as we journey through the book of Hebrews together. We're going to see a lot of that then and now comparisons. We're going to compare and we're going to discover is that everything that God promised in the Old Testament was fulfilled in the persona and work of Jesus Christ. So I guess that kind of makes him a big deal, doesn't it? Yeah. So in the moments that we have left, I want to share with you some things that I kind of pulled out of this, uh, this passage, and I'm going to call them the seven things about Jesus. I love the number seven, the number of perfection. Yeah, seven things about Jesus. Number one, Christ inherits everything. This first statement makes a big statement about Jesus. God has given him everything as his inheritance, okay? You think about what we you know, as common as the common clave, think about the word inheritance. Typically, in order to receive an inheritance, somebody has to die, okay? And then they learn that maybe uh, they get a toaster, the sibling gets a sports car, and the cash. Well, maybe no cash, but everybody's going to get something, maybe. The cool thing about this is that Jesus made off with the whole enchilada. He got everything, Everything on earth, everything in heaven, he gets it all. But that might sound a little strange to us because really everything belongs to God. But Jesus is God in the flesh. He's called God's son. That's for our benefit. But his identity is none other than the father who already knows, as J.D. said, God's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. Number two, he created the universe. Okay, that's straight out of Genesis. One, one. God created the heavens and the earth. That's what we're getting at. Remember in Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, why do you think that God spoke in the plural? Because he is Father, Son, and Spirit. See, Jesus didn't just magically appear one day. He's been there. He's always been there. He's that that mysterious union. And, of course, it's one of the things that Christians generally struggle with a little bit more. Sometimes it's just one of those things like our faith where you just have to take it and accept it, that this is what it is. If you believe in God and you believe that Jesus came as God in flesh and that when Jesus left, he said, I will send the Comforter, I will send the Holy Spirit who will be with you. They're all God in, wrapped up into one being. Number three, the sun radiates God's glory. And I loved this when I kind of thought about this. Um, for those of you that may have cars that are vehicles that are maybe older than, I'm going to just say ballpark 2010, have kind of the older headlights, Okay. So my wife's truck is a 2008, and my car is a 2015, and we've got the new, the new LED, I guess they're LED lights, I don't know. I just know that the lights on my car light up the road like I never imagined. Her truck, you know, they do okay, they do okay. 
But I never realized it until I had a car that had those kind of lights. Guess what else? When those lights are coming at you, whoo, man, I'm literally, I'm like, I got to look the other way because I'm going to get blinded by these. But when you think about this radiating God's glory, think about what that looks like. The brightest light you can imagine. It's like the guy with the brand new Corvette and is on high beams and he's shining them right into your eyes. It doesn't even compare to God's glory, his radiance. But they, they radiate it all. Okay? Number four, Jesus expresses the very character of God. The very character of God, okay? Perfect in every way. Jesus never sinned, not once. Never wavered on what is right and wrong. Loving, peaceful, kind. Love that from 1 Corinthians 13. All the things that love is. He was passionate about the truth and bold when he taught it. Completely fair, beyond temptation, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise. We're saying that about Jesus, but who does that remind us of? It should remind us of God. You know, if you were to go to one of the U.S. mints in Denver, Philadelphia, you'd see where they manufacture the coins. Um, Of course, they have molds that determine what each coin looks like. So the words that are on our coins, the pictures of it, all of it is determined by the mold. So when they put the raw material into the mold of a penny, guess whose picture comes out? Lincoln. Ever seen a penny that didn't have a Lincoln on it? Okay, not going to be Washington. It's because the coins express the image of their mold. And see, that's what Jesus is doing. He's expressing. He is the fulfillment. He is that exact image of God. And once the apostle Philip said to Jesus, he said, show us the Father. In John's gospel, he records in chapter 14, verse 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Well, Jesus knows. Not only is he the creator, he is the sustainer. Okay? Number six, oops, excuse me, number five, he sustains everything. Okay, this echoes the apostle Paul's thoughts in Colossians 1.17 where he says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is holding it all together. How many times in life do we say, man, I'm, I'm losing it. I'm not sure I can hold it together. Get Jesus in the mix. Because Jesus will hold it together. He's holding everything else together. He can hold you together. Now number six, Jesus cleansed us from our sins. See, in the Old Testament, there was a high priest who served in Israel. One of his jobs was to offer the sacrifice of atonement every year. In that chapter, it describes the ceremony that high priests went through to cleanse the people of Israel from their sins. All these rituals, if you will. So when the Jewish recipients of this letter read that Jesus cleansed us from our sins, they noticed something. They noticed something different. They noticed something that made them go, huh? Jesus is being identified as our high priest. And we'll see that more as we continue in this study, particularly in chapters 4 and 5. And then finally, number 7, he is seated at the right hand of God. Okay, when you read in the New Testament that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, it doesn't mean that God is always sitting down and Jesus is always sitting next to him. This was, for the ancient readers, this was king talk, okay? They knew that Jesus was being presented as a king. Now, some of the commentators think that there were Christian Jews reading this letter. There are also Jews who were still trying to understand who Jesus was. I don't get this. This is definitely different than anything I've ever seen or felt before. 
But I think what happens in these first four verses is the author really is making a compelling case for Jesus. Okay? In the past, God spoke through the prophets, but Jesus is better than the prophets. In the past, God spoke through the priests, but Jesus is better than the previous priests. We'll see this later in the book. He talks about he's a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In the past, God spoke through kings, but Jesus is better. Again, that recurring theme of Jesus being better. To help them understand, we know where you're coming from. We know what you've come from, but Jesus is better. So as we close down, it's what I want you to know this morning, okay? This book is the record of what God has spoken. God has spoken in the past, and it's all pointing to Jesus, okay? And God is speaking even today, and it really is all about Jesus, so now this is where it gets real personal for you and me, okay? Because see, the message about Jesus isn't just for somebody, okay? John three sixteen, whosoever, that's a very encompassing word if you think about it. Whosoever will believe in him will be saved. It's for you, it's for me. But the bottom line here, friends, is that this is an important reminder that we need Jesus. Okay? As I talked about earlier, our faith is so simple. It's such a simple step to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of your life and live according to the way God wants you to live. It can be a little challenging to live life day to day. We know that because Satan doesn't want that for us. The devil wants to pull us off path. The devil wants to pull us off track. He doesn't want us to live for Jesus. He wants us to live for ourselves and say, I got this. I can handle all this. No worries. So as we prepare to enter a time of invitation and response, I want to share something from um, my, it was actually my devotional this morning as it relates to Palm Sunday, and I thought it was particularly appropriate. Um, JD did a great job of helping us remember that. But on this Sunday that we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and people praising and screaming, screaming at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the of Lord. And our devotional said this, it said, members of the Roman army rode on horses to show their military power. Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, an animal that symbolized peace. Many people lined the streets to see the man they thought would save them from Roman rule. But Jesus was there to save people from themselves. He was there to show them in the world what true love looks like. Jesus was about to lay his life down for humanity. He loved us so much that he left his home in heaven to come to earth to die so that lost people could be saved. Many of the crowd left that day missing the point. They walked away from Jesus, not receiving love. Now, if you're here today and you truly don't know, please don't walk away. This is the best opportunity that you have right now, right here, to say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you came. I believe that you are God in flesh. I believe 
that you want to take control of my life and help me live better. Help me to live with more joy. Help me to live with more excitement about life. I want to be on fire for you, Jesus. Please, I beg you, don't leave this place. If you don't know Jesus today, please don't leave this place. We're not guaranteed the next moment. And I'm not trying to give you a fiery, you know, hellfire and brimstone kind of reminder, but I am here to tell you that we don't know. And for those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus and who know and love and try and live our lives according to the way God would have us live, we will be the first ones to tell you that there is something that happens. There's a change that happens inside of you when you step away from the life that you're living and step into the life that God would have you live. Now, perhaps you're here today and you just, you're struggling. You don't know. You don't know how you're gonna get to the next moment, let alone through the next moment. You believe, but you're just struggling. You need help. You need somebody to pray with you. You need to just get on your knees and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it on my own. Please help me. I know who you are. I love you, and I know that you love me. I need help. Well, during the invitation, there's going to be some folks, and I'll be right here. There's going to be some folks in the, in the worship center here that would love to pray with you. And yes, it takes a brave step. It does. It takes a lot of courage to get up from where you're sitting and walk up to someone and say, I need you to pray with me because I don't know how I'm going to get through today. I'm telling you, one thing I know for certain about this church is that we love Jesus and we want to carry the burden with you. We want to pray with you. You know, I know that I've met a few of you already who haven't fully committed to membership with this church. And maybe today is the day you want to do that. Maybe you've been coming for a while trying to figure out, well, gosh, it sure looks good. It sure feels good, but do I really want to make that commitment? Maybe today is the day that you do that. Today is the day that you step up and say, yeah, I want to plug into some of that excitement that JD has. I want to plug into some of the excitement of the people that I see around me. Because I'm telling you, God's doing some amazing things here at South Point. And we want you to be a part of that. We do. We really want you to be a part of that. Would you pray with me? Father, we at times can feel so lost, so uncertain about what it is that you want for us. We can, it can feel so confusing at times. But Lord, we know that you didn't come to confuse. You didn't come to create chaos. You didn't come for us to be worse off than we are. You came that we might have life and have it to the full. We know that the simplicity that rests in you, when we take the time to surrender our lives and to be obedient to you, 
There's just some clarity that comes. The, the darkness leaves and we stand fully lit and we can see. Lord, I know your spirit is moving in this place today. I can feel it. I can feel that there are some things that need to happen. There is some getting right that needs to happen. And Lord, we're just a few days away from remembering the horrible, gruesome sacrifice that had to be made so that we could stand before you and claim you, Lord, as Lord of our lives, for you to overcome death, hell, and resurrection and be there at that right hand of the Father. So I pray today in the moments that follow, God, that your will would be done, your spirit would move, lives would be changed, and that collectively, as a body of believers, that we would walk out from this place renewed, refreshed, revived, filled up and on fire for you. God, may your spirit have its way in this place. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.